And now it's time for Guaranteeing Your Retirement with your host, David Graham from Graham Capital, an estate planning and investment management firm right here in Florida. Here's your host, David Graham. Good morning. This is Dave Graham, the retirement guy, and you're listening to Guaranteeing Your Retirement on this beautiful weekend here in the Tampa Bay area. We might get a little rain. Hopefully we will. It's been kind of dry so far this year. Uh, The show is brought to you by Graham Capital Advisors. We are the people that you come to when you're getting ready for retirement and you want to do it correctly. You'll want to do it properly. Want to take the stress out of it? Let us help you. You know, we have well over a hundred years of combined planning experience. We love what we do. We're members of the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors. We hold our profession in its highest esteem. Let us help you do it correctly. You hear the word fiduciary thrown around all over the place today. But guess what? It's really a loose term because if you're a true fiduciary, you would have some kind of a professional designation. If it's finance, it's, you know, a CFP and CLU, CHFC, whatever, some kind of professional designation. And if they don't have that, your agent, your advisor does not have something next to his name. Well, then why don't you ask him why he doesn't? Because if he truly loved his profession, he would go to the extra mile and get that professional designation. Our our company, we all have one. We all have one. We have specific bents. You know, if you want to be a planner, you become a certified financial planner. If you want to be kind of a generalist for all senior needs, you can become a certified senior advisor. If you want to become an estate planner like myself, having done all the others, the last stage of life is estate planning. I finally reached that level. As my kids told me over Christmas, I became my client. Well, then you work on estate and you become an estate planner, certified estate planner. But you get a professional designation simply because you love what you do and you want to be the best you can be at it. At our company, we have that. It's legal planning, investing. You know, I'm so proud of the people that we have in our offices that are keeping the message going. Let us help you do it correctly, properly. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Okay, I don't know if you saw this one, but this is kind of amazing. Right here in Florida, a couple in Ocala, Florida, they recently welcomed their third daughter to the world. The amazing part of the story is that they all have the same birth date. One was born in 1920, 21, and this year, all on the same date, September the 3rd. And there weren't any C-sections and labor wasn't induced. It's just a natural phenomenon. What are the odds of that happening? Boy, oh boy. How about the fun fact of the week? The popsicle was accidentally invented in 1905 when an 11-year-old boy left a glass of soda water with a stirring sick outside overnight in freezing weather. Well, that would probably do it. Probably up in Chicago or something in the wintertime. Oh, boy. How about the quote of the week? The frightening thing about middle age is that you know you'll grow out of it. 
Oh boy. Yeah, that's that's the truth. Of course, we always have to have the crime of the week. We don't want you to get into a sticky situation with our federal government. You know, we have crimes that you never heard of. And here's one right now. It's a crime, a federal crime for a Department of Agricultural employee to reveal how a watermelon handler voted in a watermelon referendum. You got that? So if you ever vote in a watermelon referendum, you better not reveal anything about the handler. James, have you ever voted in a, in a watermelon referendum? A watermelon? No, maybe maybe an apple tree referendum, but never a watermelon <laughs> referendum. I know what I heard. They put a lot of vodka in their watermelons, but anyway, we'll leave that as it is. I'll tell you that. So it just shows you what we have on the books for federal federal laws. History lesson, well, 111 years ago, okay, Teddy Roosevelt was shot in an assassination attempt while campaigning for president, and with a flesh wound and a bullet still in his chest, he gave his scheduled speech in Milwaukee. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. You know, times have changed. You look at the horror, the horrific madness that's going on now in, in Gaza and Israel, when are people going to start loving each other and taking, accepting each other for what they are? Gosh, you know, it's it's so sad when you turn on the news today and you see fanatics, you see people that put their religion, you know, ahead of anything else when it comes to hate, hatred. And my gosh, you know, when is it ever going to stop? When is it ever going to stop? Uh, you know, when you think of famous people, you think of quotes that these people make. And I always love to try to use analogies. If you listen to previous shows, you know, I always try to do comparisons when it comes to the, the issues of finance, basically financing, making mistakes or regrets or how you learn from the experience. And uh, I got a few here and let, let's see if some of these make any sense to you. Here's one from George Bernard Shaw. We learn from experience that men never learn anything from experience. Okay. What does that mean? You keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same result. Hmm, your head is hurting. I have a suggestion. Stop hitting the wall with it. Okay. Uh, you know, what kind of financial mistakes do, do you see people make in general over and over and over again without ever learning? Well, I'll have to see motion. You got the, the greed cycle. You got the fear cycle in the markets where people buy and sell at the wrong time. That would be an example of it. My gosh. Here's another quote. Okay, this one by Alexander Graham Bell. No relation. When one door closes, another door opens. But we so often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the ones which open for us. Well, Think about that one. And financially, in what way have you ever seen someone turn a closed door, financially speaking, into an open door? And that would put them in a better situation. Well, there's a lot of different ways of doing it. You know, when they finally realize that if they keep laddering CDs, they're never going to make anything more than what the CD has because it's only usually a quarter of a point or half a point more. But if they take the quantum leap, and actually start buying some bonds, some very conservative bonds, their money's pretty much going to be secured, 99% secured, but they'll get a point or two more in interest. 
again, you know, think, think of it for a second. Here's another one by Eleanor Roosevelt. Learn from the mistakes of others. You can't live long enough to make them all yourself. Well, again, part, part of the whole scenario of, of finance is, you know, be smart. If you see somebody that's done something foolish, learn from it. Listen, don't forget if they say, if I did this and it didn't work, listen to them. And so you can put that in your memory bank so you don't make the same mistake. And good gosh, look, when it comes to finance, when it comes to planning, you always hear me say people spend more time planning a vacation than they do the last 20, 30 years of their life. No one wants to think about it. At our office, we'll pull it out of you. We'll find out what your risk propensity is, what is important to you. And then we'll get a plan in place that would fit what your gut is telling you is good for you. We'll find it. We'll get it out of you. But, but when you leave our office, this giant retirement monkey will be off your back. So go to our website and schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Oh, boy. When you think of overconfidence, you know, especially, again, we're talking about finance. You know, overconfidence in, in your financial life can lead to destruction. And so let, let me give you some examples. But now, right now, you always hear that cliche, go away in May and come back in October. Guess what, sports fans? We're in October. Anything could start happening now. There's going to be a lot more activity in the markets, both good and bad, so we don't know. But when you are overconfident, Overconfidence in the stock market or your ability to manage it in your portfolio. That's a form of, of, you know, having overconfidence. Don't be overconfident because no one can, knows what the stock market is going to do. Don't let anyone tell you that they have inside information. They don't. You get online today, there's always somebody selling you something that they have a proprietary knowledge of, which is total nonsense. But they package it in such a way that people actually send them money and want to know what that secret sauce is, for crying out loud. What about overconfidence in a certain amount of money? It's like, for example, once I get a million dollars, then I can retire. Really? Well, how much are you spending now? Maybe you could retire on a lot less. But on the other hand, if you're, you're, you're paying for fees to store your big boat in a, in a dock somewhere, your country club dues, you're going to you're going to be needing more than that, I would think. What about overconfidence in rules of, of, of thumb? OK, the old principles. I can withdraw four percent of my savings each year and I'll be fine. Well, it all depends on how much money you're spending. You might get to a year where you don't need four percent. On the other hand, more often than not, you're going to have something happen where you're going to need more than four percent. So be careful of the so-called rules of thumb. Some, some are appropriate, some aren't. And remember, times change. The only thing constant in life is change. So we're going to get it, whether we like it or not. What about overconfidence in your understanding of how certain products work? Okay. If you're going to go buy yourself some kind of a financial widget, I don't care if it's a real estate investment trust, a mutual fund, an equity indexed annuity, they all have their own little bells and whistles. And believe me, Sometimes you truly have to be a mathematician to understand what these underwriters are putting in. You ever notice that years ago, you only had two or three pages to understand something, you sign something twice. Now you got to sign it nine times and it's 40 pages long. And again, do you really understand everything that you just signed off on? Probably not, but now more than ever, it's difficult to understand 
you know, what's going on out there now. That's why you have to go to someone that can weed through it and go to a fiduciary. And let's come to GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. We'll help you. Okay, there's one more of these overconfidence. What about overconfidence in your decision-making process? Okay. I'm a logical person, and I make sound decisions. All right. Well, how do you know that? How do you know that? I mean, you ever make a mistake? Well, it is right there. I mean, good gosh. You know, all of us are human beings. We all make mistakes. So be cognizant of your limitations. We can help you again with that when it comes to anything related to legal planning and investing with retirement. This is what we excel at. So let us help you. Go to our website. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. And online, not online, but I have Mr. James Berlander, the infamous producer over at iHeart, helping me this morning. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning. I'm, I'm on the board. I'm hitting buttons over here. Yeah, I'm saying online like you're calling in here. But uh, that be said, you got enough electronics in front of you to go to the moon and back. Oh, for just sure. think about that for a second. Your electronics just in front of you right now is more complicated than what, than what they used when they went to the moon years ago. Oh, yeah, Talk about technology changing, huh? Oh, yeah. They're probably right. more than my car. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What do we got in the mailbag today, James? Right, let's see. Let me pull up the first one. Uh, first comes in from Nora in Siesta Key. She writes in, I have four different retirement accounts that require me to take an RMD. Do I actually have to take one from all four or can I double up on a couple of them? And if I can double up on one of them, is there any advantage to doing that? Well, that's a good question. RMD means required minimum distribution. Uncle Sam is just waiting for you to start taking into your retirement account so we can tax you. Okay, number one, if you have four different accounts, you don't have to take it from four, four different accounts. You could actually take it all from just one account. But it has to be the required minimum distribution that your accountant will tell you is necessary. Okay? Again, that's not something you want to speculate on. Companies will just do it on a, on a generic basis. Always get good guidance, especially if you have four of them, on what is the best situation for you. Uh, you could take a little bit of each one of them, but more often than not, you got to take a look at the investment, diversify it, as always, if necessary. But, again, get professional guidance. When it comes to having four different accounts, it's a lot more difficult than just having one where you know you got to take it maybe two, but four, you got to do your homework, talk to your advisor, talk to your accountant, and then make an informed decision. Very good question, Nora. All right. Next one comes in from Charlie in Tampa. He writes in, my dad is in his 80s and his will says that everything will be left to his wife when he dies. Now, she's about 10 years younger than him and they've been married for eight years. He told me the other day that He'd like to give me about $200,000 now. I'm assuming because he figures there won't be anything left for me after his wife eventually dies. Is it going to create any tax problems for either of us if he does this? Uh, that's a, Charlie, that's a yes and a yes. Uh, again, you have an estate tax. Okay. And, you know, you're not supposed to receive more than $14,000 in any one year without you know, your dad having to pay estate taxes, that's an, that's a question again to go to his attorney, to go to his CPA or accountant and your accountant 
and see what's in your both of yours best interest. There's ways of changing things and making different kind of distributions. Uh, but that's where, again, you need professional guidance. Just try to just don't guesstimate. And he surely just can't give you a check for 200000 because all the bells and whistles will go off both with his, with his him in the government and then you also. So let's not create a problem for yourself. Get good professional guidance. Good, good question. Got one more there? What do you uh, got? Actually, a couple more uh, if we have time. So Julia in Bradenton, she writes in that she loves the podcast. She's been uh, listening to every episode as it gets published. She wants to know, um, she's heard you talking about being aware of the risk in your portfolio. She's 65 and wants to know exactly how much risk should she be taking? Uh, Julia, that's a good question. Well, the old, old fundamental rules you know, what they call it, the rule of 100 for every year of life, you should have that percentage guaranteed and then invest the rest wisely. And why is that? Well, if you're 65, 65% should be guaranteed. And the reason being, if you lose it, you got to remake it. And if you have to remake it, how much time is that going to take? Because you're at a stage in life where you don't need the unnecessary stress of losing your life savings or losing a lot of money for no reason at all when you could have avoided the whole issue completely. So risk is always very much an issue. There are people that, for whatever reason, just enjoy the thrill of risk. And so my suggestion is follow the rules, but if you really like taking a lot of risk, then get some mad money and go down to the Seminole Casino, lose it an hour, and that'll take care of that issue of your psychological well-being. But you still got your money. You still got your money. And and again, this also, you have a responsibility. If you have an advisor that is telling you to invest in something that has risk, remember, is he really a true fiduciary? Or is he trying to steer you to something that's going to pay him a higher commission at your expense? I see that more often than not when people come into our office and they got into ridiculous investments they should have never gotten into. Then they have a hard time even getting their money back. So please be be aware of that. Uh, if you're if you're about ready to retire, come in to see us. We have offices in Venice, Sarasota, Tampa. Let us help you get a plan in place that that'd be right for you. Go to my website. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. James, we got one more. Yep, we've got one more, and I believe they want a detailed answer. So here we go. Thomas in Ellington wrote in. I spoke to a friend who tried to explain stuff to me, but it was all very confusing. Can you break down easily what the difference between a will and a trust is? Well, one one word has four letters. The other has five letters. (laughs) Um, A will and a trust. Okay, here's the deal. Anyone, a will is for when you die, and and it's instructions to the judge on how you want your estate to be spread out. AARP will tell you uh, when you have what's called a probate, and that's what happens when you die with a will, the average time is a year to 18 months. So for almost a year to 18 months, everything's going to be frozen as they're going through the process. If you want your kids to get money sooner than that, you better not have a will. You better have a trust. A will is just that, nothing more than that. And I recommend a will to anyone that has $50,000 or less But if you have more than that, then you have a responsibility to make sure that your house is distributed the way you would want it to be distributed to your heirs. Get a revocable trust. Not only that, but you get a revocable trust 
So it will protect you and give you help while you're living. And the reason being is the leading cause of bankruptcy for anyone over the age of 55 is health issues. You want to be able to get as much protection as possible. God forbid if you came down with a neurological disease or if you had a stroke or you needed full-time care, how are you going to pay for it? No long-term care policies are out there, but my gosh, every year their premiums increase because they can't control the cost of health care or else they're going to tell you to cut the benefits. And even then, there's less companies doing that now. One way of protecting what you have while you're alive is to get a revocable trust with all the necessary ancillary documents. When I say ancillary documents, I mean seven or eight different documents. You're talking about a power of attorney, obviously. And it should be a Florida power of attorney. A lot of people move to Florida that have trust from Indiana or Ohio. The one document you're going to always need that it has to be Florida-specific is a durable power of attorney. So you get one of those. Then you get a health care surrogate. Florida differentiates between physiological and psychological. You need a mental health care surrogate. Then you get what's called a nomination of a conservatorship or you get a guardianship. You have assignment of personal effects of where things are going when you pass away, specific gifts you want to give give, give out. You, you have final instructions. Uh, you know, you, you have the Tori Shivo living will, a specific one. You get all these documents, a compilation of them, and that's what's going to help protect you if you need it and you get sick. And then, of course, you always have what's called a pour of a will. You still get a will with a trust. In case you miss up, put something in the trust, that's giving someone permission to take it and put it in the trust on your behalf. I always recommend to trust anyone that has over 50000 bucks in assets. Uh, you save, save your own monies that way, and you make it a lot easier on your, on your family. So a good revocable trust will cost you about 1000 bucks. You can get a will for as easily as two or 300 but it's much more well spent to do it once, Get the trust, even if it's the size of a of a of a doorstop, and use it as a doorstop if need be. A big pile of paper, but you're going to need every one of those pieces of paper. If you need help with that, we have great elder law attorneys, estate planning attorneys, asset preservation attorneys that can help you preserve your estate and do it correctly. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Coming up next, we have Stosh Graham, the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management, Washington, D.C. That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com. Good morning to you. Good morning, David. Let me ask you something. The last time U.S. stocks were, were this pricey relative to the bond market, the, the S&P crashed almost 50% or so. Uh, U.S. stocks now are near their most expensive levels in over over two decades, you know, relative to the bond market. I mean, what's your take on what's going on right now? Well, look, I, I think you, you, you certainly have, and, you know, we, and I feel like almost like a broken record when we talk, um, but the point hasn't changed. You have a handful of stocks carrying the boat for the vast, vast majority of stocks. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned this on the last, on the last uh, uh, conversation, but you have 80% of the S&P 500 down double digits this year, and almost half down more than 20% over the last 12 months. Um, I mean, that is huge. Those are material losses. 
yet at a time when the S&P 500, the headline index, is up, you know, 7 8%. Now, the equal weighted S&P, so every, all 500 stocks have equal weighting, that's down about a percent and a half. Um, right. But the separation between the haves and have-nots in terms of equity performance is very stark, and it's just very skews to just a handful of companies. Right. Well, and I, I noticed that everyone is concerned about it, even Bill Gross, uh, you know, the bond guru. You know, he's saying that investors are overlooking the risk to stocks from, from the sharp rise and real bond yields. You know, he's skeptical that the Fed is going to achieve its 2% inflation rate and cut interest rates anytime soon. So I, I, let me just ask a general question then. Knowing all this, when, you, when it comes to investing people's monies for retirement, uh, what do you do? to protect them? Well, I think there's, there are very certain, um, um, there are very specific assets that you have to um, invest in if you want to be protected and actually make a little bit. Um, you know, you, you've seen some very famous, well-regarded investors, say like Ray Dalio, the co-founder of Bridgewater Associates, the world's largest hedge fund, say bonds are trash. Well, I think you have to go a little bit more in the weeds or, you know, whichever analogy you want to use, use a scalpel, whatever. You have to separate out because the bonds are such a huge asset class. Like, for example, I would challenge that statement by saying the best way to avoid pain in this type of market is short dated, high quality corporate bonds. That right now, you could find plenty that yield 6% annually. Um, and when I say short term, I mean 18 months or less. There right. are Those are a dime a dozen right now where you could find either high grade, which are A plus higher, or investment grade, triple B minus or higher. You could find a plethora of those, again, inside 18 months. And now I think investment grade, you have to do a little bit more due diligence because that's a very large uh, uh, class of bonds. And I do think there are certain pockets of the investment grade that could be trap doors, but that's why you have people like ourselves who will do the analysis, the credit analysis and the liquidity analysis of a company. But 18 months and in, you could find plenty at six months, six percent or higher, or really, I mean, you could find, you know, it, it 5.8% or higher very, very easily. Um, and so again, I think when you have that context in mind, it makes investing a little bit easier than having to go right. into the broader market and you know throw a dart at a dartboard and hope you don't lose 20%. But you've sure. had a lot of good companies, companies whose operations, when you actually look at from operating perspective, have grown earnings this year, yet their stock is down 20 to 30%. Right. I mean, you could find plenty of those companies in the market right now. And again, I think when you look at about investment performance, you have a lot of people, and I could tell you this, talking to, uh, to, talking to a lot of prospective clients over the last couple of quarters, they lost 20% last year, and they're only up 2 to 3% this year. So they're still down 15 18% from their high watermark almost 20 months ago. And they're like, well, I'm confused. I understand I lost 20% last year because everyone lost 20% 
or all assets fell 20%. So I get that that was an average performance. But now I'm only up a couple percentage points this year. I haven't got back even remotely close to my 20% drawdown last year, and I'm concerned. Um, I've had that conversation plenty of times over the last couple of quarters. And again, I think those portfolios all have very similar um, trademarks or or certain similar strategies. Right. Well, again, uh, part of it is, you know, you're, you know, you manage hundreds of millions of bucks and I know you can't be wrong on this stuff, especially when it talks about, you know, people's retirement monies. I just noticed now also that, you know, Bank of America now, you know, their strategists, they say there's a, there's a classic recession indicator. It's flashing signs that we're going to have this long awaited downturn is about to start. Uh, you know, they, they're pointing to two points in the yield curve that inverted you know, that usually typically means there's a recession. Uh, they're just they're saying that they're waiting for the markets to confirm, give confirmation to it, you know, from the labor market. I mean, what do you think about that issue? You think we're starting? My only now? hesitation. Yeah. So my only hesitation about using yield curves and while they could certainly provide some degrees of color, because there are certain aspects of the yield curve which speaks to the banking industry and the profitability of the banking industry, uh, of which then obviously having a healthy banking industry lends itself to having a healthy economy. Uh, you struggle; you would struggle to have a healthy economy if you have a weak banking industry or a banking industry that has a lot of questions, of which we currently do. I know just in the last few days you've had a lot of the what we would call money centers or government government systematically or global systematically important banks like Wells Fargo, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase report good earnings, and and I think those need to be recognized. But they're not indicative. Those are really not banks banks as we think of banks. You have a lot of regional banks and community banks that are in the eye of the storm right now. Uh, And I could tell you talking to these respective management teams as investors in some of these banks, or at least the different parts of their capital structure, that these management teams are very worried. Their funding costs have continued to increase over the last two quarters. And yet their earnings yield, what they make on their assets, whether it's loans or you know treasuries or securities, have not increased with it at the same rate. So their earnings have come down. Uh, now, again, money gatherer banks or money center banks like Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan Chase, they're different. They're in a different class. Uh, their funding costs have not nearly gone up to the same levels as, say, some of these regional banks like Truist or M&T Bank or um, Huntington Bank. Uh, Again, those banks have seen material increases in their funding costs. And so that has put downward pressure on their earnings. So I think even within the banking industry, you've seen a separation where you have a handful of banks who are halves. They're able to weather the storm because they have so many deposits they don't know what to do with versus the 99% of banks, which are taking on pressure. Right. Well, with what's going on now, in the Middle East, you have Israel, you have Hamas. This war, it's obviously going to affect the energy markets. So how, how do you see the energy markets being affected by this war going on now? Well, in the short term, you've already seen the initial reaction to the markets. You saw energy prices increase a couple percentage points. Now, I think over time that's going to fade because – as we've seen in certain instances, this isn't the first time Hamas has had a, a issue or a conflict, direct conflict with Israel. And 
the Middle East always seems to be very resilient in terms of increasing production here to make up for, you know, dis- disruption here. So I think on a net net perspective, this is going to fade out. But the important takeaway is to listener is the energy markets right now with how tight they are, any disturbance globally is going to have and can have an impact on higher energy prices, which feeds itself back to the United States in that we have higher spikes of inflation. Now, look, shelter is the biggest component of inflation. And in this most recent CPI report that we got a few days ago, the Consumer Price Index, it came in a little bit hotter than what people were expecting. That was primarily driven by hotter shelter costs. Now, again, we've talked before in the past, shelter costs and how they're reported in both inflation measures or both inflation indices, whether it's the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, or the PCE, Personal Consumption Expenditure, shelter is the biggest component of both of those measures, but they also get reported with a lag. We know real estate market has slowed down over the last couple of quarters. Uh, demand for real estate is materially down. It's at their lowest level since we've seen since the 1990s. And again, intuitively, this makes sense. When it costs 75 to 8% for a 30-year mortgage, that's going to price people out of the market. It's going to systematically reduce demand for real estate. Now, the question is supply. You have seen supply slightly uptick in the last month, month and a half. And the assumption is that's going to increase next spring and summer as you do see a change in employment. Uh, the labor market continues to loosen up as it has the last couple of quarters, uh, and that continues into the spring, of which when corporate profit margins continue to contract as it has on a year-over-year basis, those companies are going to be forced to lay people off. They're not going to lay people off during the winter you don't you see there's a seasonality aspect to that. You're not going to lay people off during the holidays, but right. come out of the holidays. Yes, you do start to see an uptick in in layoffs. And again, I think if you look at whether it's business conditions, which are very poor right now, led by very high uh, uh, cost of capital, uh, or you look at um, profitability for businesses, which again, as I mentioned. We have two quarters now of year-over-year contracting earnings growth, and we're going to see that again this quarter for the third quarter. Businesses are going to have to try to protect their profit margins at some point. Uh, They haven't yet, but they're going to have to. And if you can't change your cost of capital, which is out of their control, uh, then you're going to go after your next biggest expense, which is labor. And, uh, and, and that's why we would expect to see an uptick in unemployment come the first quarter of next year. Do you feel that right now, I was looking at a, a Bank of America report where they feel that U.S. stocks could actually avoid any kind of a big drop, providing their yields stay below 5%. Can you explain that? Um, yeah, I mean, and I, I, I would certainly say in that scenario, if you see interest rates come down and, and get stay below 5%, um, you could see a situation where the stock market rises. There's certainly that chance. I would just say that the opportunity of that happening is less than 50-50. And so mm-hmm. thus, you know, putting my asset manager hat on, I would say that that is a poor value investment. Uh, yes, could the stock market go higher? Absolutely. And look, the long run trend is the stock market goes higher. But I would say 
from a, I would step back and say, from a bigger picture, you are seeing what we're currently going through over the last 12 months is a reversal from 13 years of extreme loose monetary policy, whether it is interest rates that are zero bound, funding costs that are next to nothing, and plentiful quantitative easing. And now we are just in the beginning stages of reversing that. Again, we just had the steepest increase in the Fed funds rate in modern U.S. history. That's not unintentional. Uh, and we're still debating about an interest rate hike over the next couple of months. So um, those dynamics of steep interest rate hikes has really yet to impact stock prices, even though they have started to impact the underlying operating business and profitability of companies broadly around the country. Right. Right. With the war going on now with Hamas and Israel, uh, you know, obviously people looked for a safe haven to put their monies in. And I noticed where gold now, as of today, it has it's had its best best period of time in the last six, seven months. So uh, you know, they're hoping to price in the end of Fed hikes, I guess. What's your take on gold as an investment right now? So obviously, gold's had a rough year. It had a good start to the year in the summer and early fall months. It has been notably weak. Um, I think some of this is due to the fact that, you know, when we entered the year, a lot of people were expecting our first rate cut by the end of this year. And, and again, we've mentioned this before, but there's a very defined period when you want to own gold. You want to own gold when you're at the last rate hike, and you want to hold it all the way through until you get to about two months after your first rate cut. That's when you want to own gold. And then you want to sell it again a couple months after the first rate cut. It's kind of like a buy the rumor, sell the news uh, you know, type of, uh, type of dynamic. Um, and as you continue to push out the possibility of rate hikes, and separately higher for longer, which means you're not going to get to your rate cut, um, it becomes a little bit more of a choppy trade. The geopolitical events in, in Israel and the Gaza Strip had certainly gave gold a nice little boost. But, and I'm not a subscriber of technical analysis, but there are some very noted technical analysis technicians, I guess you would call them, that follow precious metals or like gold that say gold is in a either it's going to fall materially or it's going to appreciate material. It's in this, this zone now where it needs to make a move and it's right. going to be a material move either way. It's not going to just hold here at this level. Now, again, sure. I would give a degree of skepticism to that, but I think you're closer to the end of rate hikes, whether it happens before the end of this year or not, I think we're at the end of the rate hike cycle. So allocating capital here. I don't think your downside is as punitive as maybe the, the technicians might say, but right. the upside, especially relative to other assets like stocks, can be very intriguing, especially if we are through the last rate hike and we're in this period of we're looking for the first rate cut. And again, signs of a slowing economy, uh, an economy that possibly could recess is what you'd be looking for in owning gold, and gold would benefit dramatically from those developments or from those news headlines popping up. Sure. Well, one last question is, do you recommend gold? Or do you have gold in people's portfolios? 
We do. Yeah, I would say it's actually our single largest position at the firm. But with that being said, it's five, five or six percent allocation. Um, but again, it depends on the person's risk tolerances and investment goals. Uh, if there's one negative about gold, is it doesn't produce income. And so, you know, right. if you're someone who just retired and you need supplemental income to maintain your lifestyle, maintain your household, gold is probably not going to be a suitable investment because it doesn't generate any interest or yield um, or income. And so that's where, especially for our clients, it's why we have a lot more investments uh, in short-dated fixed-income investments because they generate interest, they generate yield, and they give us the flexibility of of having a higher degree of liquidity. Now, gold is certainly liquid during times of stress, but again, it's a matter of generating interest and income for clients at this point in time, especially if they're recently retired and making that adjustment on on living on a fixed, uh, you know, fixed income. Well said. You know, people read something online and they right away think about investing. They don't think of the consequences of what happens if they actually purchase it where there's no income. Well said, Stash. Good information today. I appreciate your time. Talk to you next week. Take Take care. care That was Stash Graham, our Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth.com. That's to address Graham Capital Wealth.com in Washington, D.C. Stash is the best of the best. A year or so ago when the markets were losing money, he didn't lose any. Only one in 10 advisors can say that. And we rely on him. He manages hundreds of millions of dollars. And if you feel that now is a good time to get a second opinion, let Stosh help you. Just go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. You really want to be lucky in life, go help someone. Got a smile on you. You'll get to be incredibly lucky. We're lucky to be Americans. It's right on our currency. In God we trust. Good luck. God bless. Take care of each other. Stay safe out there. We'll see you next week. This program is sponsored by Graham Capital Advisors, LLC. Graham Capital Advisors, LLC is an independent estate planning and insurance agency. Investment advisory services are provided by Graham Capital Wealth Management, LLC, an independent registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Graham Capital Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. Individuals should consult with a qualified professional for guidance before making any purchasing decisions.